I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. Talk what about kind of want? Oh, shit, I was about to start the podcast. I know, I know. I, I just want to like hear as, about soon this as, as soon as I go to talk. I know. Hold on, real quick. Well, let's do the introductions in. Uh, welcome to Very Unreasonable Things. Today, we're going to be talking about our favorite wines and maybe a movie. Yes. But anyways, you know, as usual, I'm Billy Bone, and I'm joined by Josh Lindsay who is stoically staring off into the distance. No, sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I was on YouTube. No, I'm sorry. I was thinking of Boston. I'm sorry. I <laughs> 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 got that wrote down too. You're thinking of Boston. There's only like one other person maybe who would get that reference. Uh, Nobody's seen this movie. The wine I was drinking was called 19 Crimes. Oh, yeah. They got that here. Yeah, so there's different ones. Um, I can't. I had I had bought like three different bottles at one point, but I so I can't remember which one it was. I just finished. It's not bad. It's not. Sweet it's Walter. red, right? It's not sweet Walter red. They got yeah. No. Like I said, not sweet Walter red, but I have yet to find it anywhere here. What the fuck is sweet Walter red? Or, I don't know that. Yeah, you do. Do I? Yeah, it? it's that uh, bottle of uh, red wine, Sweet Walter. Wa- Walter, I think this was called right. It was you. Uh, come on, help me yeah, out a little bit more than I'm just a, keep saying the name. I'm the name about. To, I'm about to. I'm about to Google it. What's Google? <laughs> Damn it. When you said that, I wasn't. Uh, I, I typed in "sweet Google." <laughs> uh, it's such a better name than Google. Sweet Google. Yeah, Sweet Walter Red Wine. I, I knew it. I'll show you a picture of it. When you see this picture, you'll remember ourselves. I don't know. Let's see if you can see this in the. Uh... I can't, brother man. Yeah, I, it's too much I, it, it looks, it looks like drawings. Where did we drink this at? In Mississippi. Um, all right, I sent you a picture of it. Okay, where did we? I mean, okay, uh, obviously, the only place that me and you've ever been is Mississippi. We've been to New Orleans together. We have, but oh yeah. You remember we drank now. this while we were living together, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean I think we we absolutely murdered this bottle. Yeah. Yeah. 
that's why I'm surprised that you uh, forgot about it. Well, we murdered a bottle of wine, and I'm assuming kept drinking probably whatever else. But yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. I'm surprised yep. you remembered. Did you keep the bottle? No. What am I keeping the bottle for? I don't know. Certain people do it. I wasn't going to pass judgment or anything. I was just curious. Yeah, I got some empty whiskey bottles I need to get rid of. So, yep. bo- about Boston. Yeah, I'm just thinking about it. Let's, let's uh, talk about the New York Ripper. Our first movie in our little Jallo block, uh, New York Ripper, directed by Lucio Fulci, uh, came out in nineteen in Italy, March fourth, nineteen eighty two. Runtime of ninety three minutes and made a box office of one point zero four million. And that's got to be. I mean, look, this was a video nasty. In the UK, I don't, I don't think, I mean, this shit got banned. You know, the video nasties is, you know, you can look up the list of movies. They fucking never, if you were any way like titillating, they fucking, you, you wasn't coming into those borders, but I've read like, yeah, this isn't a movie that's obviously shot in 81, released in 82. Somewhere I found that this was wasn't released until 1987, but I don't. That can't be right. So it was released in the United States in 1984. 84, but yeah, I got 87. Maybe they tried to pass the censor board in the UK with it, but and even in 87, I don't think this would have flown. But yeah, for some reason I have it. But Fulci. The Godfather of Gore, the Spaghetti Splatter King, as he is known. I think both me and you have only seen one Fulci movie, right? Uh, you might have seen counting this one. Yeah. No, I've seen a zombie. no, 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 no. Counting it, zombie. But is that it? Um. Yeah, I think so. He did House by the Cemetery. Yeah, it started. I think well. so, but I started, but I didn't finish it. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. Yeah, the... Fucking, uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, nah, I was going to say fucking Fulci, man. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, it's pretty graphic in some scenes. I don't know if you should... If this should be your first Fulci... Or maybe it should be your first Fulci just to get a an idea. You know what I'm saying? This might turn you off from watching any more Fulci. Or because this is zombies less graphic than this. And my, you know. Yeah. Because I was able to watch zombie without covering... No, I did. I no, I covered my eyes. I was gonna say and there's zombie. Yeah, there, I did. I there's did. a yeah. scene in there. If, um, was it the uh, the wood scene? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Good look at it. Yep. 
And this scene, again, I finished, I, I watched it a second time today. Nope. Fucking hard no for me. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I didn't um, cover my eyes, but I, I do find myself kind of being like, I, I can't do it. I trauma, I mean, and I guess Fulci's known for that, but it's it just makes my asshole pucker up, you know? Yeah. What's your history with the movie? You know, this zero history, apparently this was on In Search of Darkness Part 3. And I tried to find it where they talk about it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't in the 1982 section, but it also, and I skipped around, but it also didn't make any sense because if it wasn't in 1982, then it had to be where they talked about Giallo. Mm-hmm. But you can't not talk about Giallo until part three. They had to, so I couldn't find it. I don't, you know, Giallo needs to be in part one. Let's be honest, you know? Yeah. You know, if you're going to talk about subgenres of the horror scene, but I couldn't find it. But I had so, and I've watched all of the In Search of Darknesses, but zero history until you brought this up and you said, "Hey, watch it." And even when you told me, I didn't even know it was Fulci. Yeah, you know, and <laughs> I will say this, and this isn't like, you know, uh putting the cart ahead of the horse. I will say, and, and maybe the same is for you, this movie plays differently the second time you watch it. When I watched it the first time, it, I appreciated it more the second time I watched it. I'll just say that. All right. But it still does, and, I, and I'm not a expert, I don't know shit about shit when it comes to giallos. You know, me and you are learning together. Mm-hmm. Hand in hand. You know, kiss on the cheek. We're going in this together. I love you. I love you. God damn it. Just get to the okay. point. But it is the dubbing that, and here's the thing. You're dubbing English-speaking actors yep. who were speaking English. That's the same issue that uh, Chris had when, uh, I can't remember, we were watching a Jala movie. It wasn't this one, though. It was a, it might have been when we were watching Suspiria. But he's like, oh, it's a, he's like, these actors are speaking English. Why the fuck are they dubbing them? And Suspiria is way less noticeable than this. To me, I haven't seen Suspiria in about four or five months. But this was like the lead detective, Jack Headley. He's a British actor. Uh, he's like a professional British actor. I'm sure he could do a, an American. I don't know why they do it. When the Italians speak, I get it. I wish that wasn't the case. I, I would prefer if they just spoke in Italian. And fucking give me subtitles. Yeah. It it does not matter. It wouldn't even take me out of the movie. It's like, oh, these two people are speaking Italian 
in New York City. Uh, that's fine. You're not basing it in West Virginia. That'd be a little weird to attack. But who gives a shit? It takes me more out of the movie when that's happening. Even more so when it's English-speaking actors. You know? Yeah, I know on, uh, on the one, um, I thought it was In Search of Darkness 3 where they talked about Jalo as a uh, genre. Uh, I can't remember her name, but you remember the, the African-American lady from Demons, who the first one to put on the mask. Oh, yeah. She talks about dubbing, and she talks about, like, you know, dubbing herself, you know, and just how it's an art form. Like, you have to practice to be good at dubbing. But I bet that's weird dubbing yourself. What's the fucking point? Maybe it is an art form. It's a hat on a hat. It's like, what? I mean, I don't even know if I use that expression correctly, but still, it's it's a hat on a hat. Yeah. That means it's fucking, I guess it means it's pointless. I should use uh, sweet Google, but I'm not. But (laughs) I think that's what it means. I think that's what it means. But it's just, I don't know. But goddamn, you know, I'm I'm glad we're doing Giallo. Cause thank fuck that Giallo exists, though. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just this a certain time in horror history where you know Italians said, "Hey, we could do westerns," and they did them, and they're fucking classics. And they're like, well, we can do fucking horror. And it's watching this movie made me think of what Friday the 13th, 1980 could have been. Yeah. So I I guess um, before you get into that real quick, let's just give, because we're talking about Giallo and we haven't really explained what it is other than it's Italian horror. So I used Wikipedia, not sweet Google. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but if you don't know, here's, here's what it says. Giallo or the Italian cinema Giallo is a genre of murder mystery fiction that often follow or often contains slasher, thriller, psychological horror, sexploitation, and less frequently supernatural horror elements. So you get murder mystery thriller is, uh, you know, pretty accurate when you watch these movies because it's usually, it's like a whodunit. Mm-hmm. So you got oh, and this one, POV shots. Yeah. And this one, what's that word you use? Sex, exploitation. Sex, sex. This movie likes sex a lot. <laughs> like, I am, I am who I am, like Popeye. Even if my girlfriend would have walked in on me watching some of these scenes, I would have been embarrassed like my mom walked in. I'm like, uh, what are you watching? Nothing? <laughs> Why's your dick out? I don't know. I don't know. Because uh, this woman's tied up and she's scared. <laughs> did you? Didn't you say you wrote a synopsis for this? I did. It's not good, though. I'll be the judge of that. No, I don't want you to be the judge of it. That's the problem. It's, it's uh, but it sucks. You haven't had any that I, di- I disliked. They've all been good until now. 
and I, I didn't, it took, you know, I, I put minimal effort like I, with this synopsis, like I do with my life, but okay. Ah, uh, this, okay. Oh, I'll stop being a little, Oh, uh, just do it. It's going to oh, be great. Uh, take off my peepers. Okay. The New York Ripper and yeah. New York Ripper. When New York City is plagued by a prank caller that targets beautiful women, unlike those limp dicks Gacy and Dahmer, there's only one man who can stop the terror that's infested the city. The ever-sleepy Lieutenant Fred Williams, the extra-burnt-out detective who enjoys the small things in life, chain-smoking, not doing his job, sleeping with prostitutes, and, of course, not doing his fucking job. And when Williams runs out of ideas before he can even form one, he seeks the help of the loneliest man, Dr. Michael Fassbender, to catch the killer, who, as you can imagine, does all the goddamn work. But this isn't your dad's jerky boy prank caller. This total piece of shit has zero imagination or humor to his tomfoolery pranks. <sighs> And the and, and the Italian Roy D. Mercer, Daniel will appreciate that reference. I know he will if he listens. But his biggest crime to humanity isn't the rotary phone hijinks. No, this cuck without a fuck tries his hand at voices. Mel Blanc would be so proud. Because other than failing miserably at a Donald Duck impression and failing with confidence, mind you, this guy's perfectly normal and leads a very mundane life with zero twilight hobbies to speak of also there's an eight-fingered stalker pervert who is actually not the killer just an eight-fingered pervert starkler normal guy normal movie that's it man there look the movie is what it is it's a and movie Because we're eventually going to get to the end. And I didn't even think to put that whole part in this synopsis. Because that's fucking bananas. The movie ends with something that is so goddamn out of left field. That you're actually confused about what you just saw. And they don't introduce it. Till the last eight minutes. Regardless. Let me take it back to the top, though. Take it back to the top. I mean, the music. Well, the fucking music. So I got that in my notes. So, okay. Well, let's start it off finally. The man, the movie starts off and a man's walking his dog and he's playing fetch. He's like, oh, you want some exercise? Oh, yeah. Let's throw this fucking stick a little bit. And he's like, go get it. Go get it. Yeah. And then, you know. You know, being the good fucking pet owner he is, on his next throw, he throws it into the fucking bushes. And he's like, yeah, yeah, go find it. Go find it. Yeah, this guy. Uh, yeah, I didn't even think about how big of an asshole he is. Because he's in like a dirt lot. Yeah. <laughs> he finds the only three bushes. 
plenty it throws of space. a fucking stick exactly plenty of space to play fetch you know where your dog doesn't have to you know go diving into poison ivy or whatever and you're like nah fuck it into the bushes you go and obviously the dog comes back with a severed hand a severed hand that i mean it was gross it you know like it was a gross severed hand you know yeah. like you expect it to be kind of cheap looking and they know it looks good because that's where they do the freeze frame in the credits roll. <laughs> like, this shit looks good. It looks good enough to where we can stop the movie. In the you opening can, credits. You can tell that this movie's like late 70s, early 80s by the fucking music that come on. Oh, I wrote in my notes like this, this opening music is a choice. It's like Hill Street Blues. Or something. It's like an 80s TV show. Yeah. And like I said, they keep it frozen on the hand. And here's the thing with the music. Because the music isn't Hill Street Blues throughout the entire time. Like, it changes from a horror score to when the woman's tied up and they have the radio on. Yeah. Which is... I don't even know how you describe that music. It's music that nobody listens to ever. But that shit reminded me of the Warriors. That scene. Hmm, the Warriors. That was a good movie. Um, so they found a decomposed human hand uh, belonged to a local model. And it's... It doesn't seem important at the time, but kind of on the second viewing, it makes more sense. All the people that are getting killed are attractive people. Yes. Like attractive women to be yeah, specific. Attractive women. And until you find out like the killer's motive and why he's doing it, you may not catch on to it. But there's a reason why attractive people are getting killed. Which we'll get to. But um They go to interview the landlady. No. Oh. And, and this landlady's so fucking nosy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And proud of it. Yeah. She don't give a shit. Yeah. She's like one of these, I wouldn't call her like a socialite because she's not, but she is like one of these old, I guess, uptown old ladies who just spends four of her waking hours like doing her hair putting on lipstick you can just tell that that's who she is you know yeah and we get introduced to i called him the ever sleepy detective williams yeah he i mean look he was going for a burnout detective look so he fucking nailed it but he looks so bored throughout this movie not as an actor i'm talking about as a detective you know just and, and she goes to him because she heard the murderer or what she thought was a murderer mm -hmm. with the phone call with this model being found and this <laughs> doctor uh detective did i say williams because yeah I never williams really, williams yeah he wants this lady gone. 
immediately from the station. She starts talking about like, yeah, I was watching Dallas at oh, seven yeah. o'clock. The show with you know, the family that has all the money. Yeah. And he's just, you could tell he had a hard night last night because he's like taking pills and just being like, get to the point. But this is the interiors were filmed in Italy. Mm-hmm. The exteriors actually filmed in New York when you could actually film in New York and it not, you know. Yeah. N- now this shit would be filmed in Toronto. But this this police station is the cheapest I've seen in a movie. I mean, zero effort really into making it look like a police station. Luckily, we're not there a lot, you know. Yeah. A few times, but it is... It's pretty bad. I didn't. I didn't get the budget when I, I didn't see how much it cost to make. So I, I don't know. Um, we go to another girl who's riding on a bike. We follow her down the street a little bit. More great music, yeah, and more shots of real New York City at a time when New York City wasn't doing so good. Like. You know, this like the reputation brought, was. This movie saved New York. It brought him back. Oh, the New York Ripper saved. Like the actual, he would have saved New York. Yeah. But yeah, I know you're right. You actually get shots of New York. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I was thinking about that when I was watching it. Cause it's like, you know, this movie couldn't have had a bigger budget than Friday 13th part eight. Yeah, you got very little of uh, Jason in Manhattan. There's a big difference, though, in, like, 1981 and 1989, though, I think. Just in terms of what it probably calls to, with, you know. Yeah. But anyways, we got the girl on the bike, and she's riding, and she goes to the ferry. Or she's on her Staten way to the Island. ferry. Yeah. And she, uh, she hits a, it was a, Oh God, I should have wrote down a car. It was a, it's a bug. Yeah. Yeah. Hit a red Volkswagen Beetle and the guy got mad. And, uh, she's like, what you'd said, like, oh, I was, uh, I'm sorry for running into your car. And he's like, what were you thinking? She's like, I was thinking of Boston. Like if there, look, the first time I watched this movie, I felt like the script was especially the dialogue was a little lacking. The second time I watched it, I appreciated it a lot more. But we'll get to another scene. But if you want two lines in a movie that you could tell were written by Italians, and this movie was, it had like one, two, three, four screenwriters. If there is, like I said, the later line, but this line is like, Oh, yeah, this is Italians writing it. I was thinking of Boston. What the fuck does that mean? (laughs) You know? I mean, I know you have wet dreams about Texas. But you wouldn't be, like, bumping into somebody and be like, I was thinking about Texas, especially since you live there now. That'd be fucking weird. (laughs) Sorry, I was... I do tell people that sometimes. Here in Sweden. That you're thinking of Boston? Yeah. I'm like, I like Boston. 
Like, what the fuck's wrong with you, guy? Why aren't you looking where you're going? I was thinking of Mississippi. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I got Mississippi on the brain. So, in retaliation for this guy being justifiably mad that she just ran into his fucking car. Yeah, but he's a little harsh to her, too. Like, you could tell this is a... He's probably got fucking people bumping into him all the time. He's probably tired of it. But she goes to vandalize his car, and she's in the process of writing shit. I'm assuming she was going to write shithead. I'm assuming, yeah. On the inside of his car with lipstick? Yeah. And then the ripper gets her. And he gets her pretty good. Yeah. Out of I it's a public ferry though. That's I'm like, he pulled this off with nobody seeing him, even though there was people all around technically. Yeah. I mean, and even after her body was discovered, like the movie doesn't show you, it tells you. Like, nobody notices the dead body until they start leaving the ferry, which there's nobody in their cars in a ferry. You get out. So people had to come in, get in their cars, and because nobody was moving in this bug, the guy behind them just starts pushing. Yeah. It's like, and then you're like, where the fuck's the driver? Obviously, he didn't tell anybody about the dead body. He just goes and cries later. But I, I've got my notes. If you wouldn't clear this was Fulci, you know it within 10 minutes. Because it is... Uh, it's crazy. Like, And this is... Would you say this is the tamest kill? Um, No. No. It's not the tamest. No, because so, somebody else just gets stabbed later on. Yeah, it's the chick who gets kid, not kidnapped, but has to escape. Hers is kind of easy. Yeah. But this one, man, he's, pfft, it's a stab and then it's going up. You know, it is, it's, yeah, pretty rough. So the um, Williams is um did, was he talking yeah he was talking to the press right and he was talking about there being a potential serial, serial killer and his no. boss got got mad yeah yeah uh we don't like, see him talk to the press but the chief comes in and says what are you telling the press the chief of police was played by Fulci himself. Yeah, I see that now. No. But yeah, she, he tells him not to make any more public announcements because he doesn't want to start a citywide panic. Or create another Atlanta. I will say that was pretty clever of the screenwriters. Um, did you ever watch Mindhunter? No. You should. It's It's fantastic. But the third season deals with the serial killer that was in Atlanta in the ah. late seventies. Gotcha. I'll, I'll have to look up on that. Cause I didn't know what you were talking about when you said Atlanta at this point, 
they bring on an advisor for the case. The uh, and we're introduced to this character while he's playing fucking electronic chess by himself, just yeah. the loneliest man. Mm-hmm. He's <sighs> he's doing better in his game than Kurt Russell did in his game. I mean, that's true, but in all fairness, the the one Kurt Russell was playing was a cheating bitch. <laughs> in all fairness. Yeah. So but the guy, the, yeah, he, he yeah. brings in a psychologist mm-hmm. or uh, who looks, did you notice he looked like Michael Fassbender? Dude, there's an, um, oh, I'll have to pay attention. I got another person wrote down who I thought looked like somebody. Well, I guess I can say it. I mean, it's not like we're a mystery podcast and we're not trying to. No, now you're being you. weird. Yeah. But no, the, the fucking killer I thought looked like a, looked like Topher Grace. It looked like the the victim from part two of Friday the 13th. I like the dude who gets hung upside down. I like mine better. I like mine better. Oh, I like mine. Yours kind of sucks. No, my guy, look, he looked like Topher Grace. No, this guy was supposed to be handsome. What are you talking about? Well, you didn't. All right, put up a Twitter poll. A Twitter poll. <laughs> this will be the only time you get on Twitter. You'll go and vote on it. Make multiple <laughs> accounts. State inspector's a dumbass. Wait. Is it even, I mean, it's, do people still say Twitter? I still say Twitter. I know some people do. I, I refuse to fucking call it X. I mean, that's, I mean, I kind of get it. The shit, he has SpaceX, but I mean, he bought out Tesla too. He didn't create Tesla, I don't think. Are you going to call that X mobile? I, I have no idea. I don't know. Anyway, enough about that guy. Yeah, we got we got to talk about the the fucking two the guy with the two, uh, missing fingers. Uh, God, fuck his name, Mickey. Uh, not Mickey. We he's Greek. Yeah, he's Greek, but they called. I thought they called him Mickey at one point. It's something. It's not Mickey. It's um. Yeah, it was Mickey, Mickey Scalinda, or Mickus. Mickus, that's it. But they did say Mickey at one point. I know it was Get crazy. it right, you xenophobic they, they piece of shit. They said fucking Mickey. So he, he goes into this fucking sex show, and we see there's a woman in there recording the audio of the sex show. Who then Getting starts, off on it. Yeah, starts playing with herself while they're doing it. I didn't fucking say, this, this scene just kind of seems to drag on. Oh my God. The first time it was long, the second time it was longer. It's like, we get it. Cause there's, cause it's Fulci. He likes close ups. Yeah. I like close ups. But when you get a close up of a woman who's moaning, not while being satisfied, but watching other people get satisfied, and then it's overdubbed. Like, it's not even her doing the moaning. And you just get a close-up of these, like, 1982 teeth, if you know what I mean, with 1982 teeth. It's like, yeah. you know. And it 
with the moaning overdubbed, it comes across as fake moaning, you know? And we just, we sit there as an audience for like, what feels like 10 minutes is probably like four minutes. Like just that scene. Yeah. Which is way too fucking long because these people look like they're really fucking. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe they were. You know, some movies they do legitimately do it. It wouldn't surprise me. What movies are you talking about, Bone? What movies are you? Uh, Did you ever see like a movie called The Brown Bunny? <laughs> You're talking about like some vivid No, this was movie. A, God, I can't remember the fucking guy's name, but it had um Oh my god, uh fuck, I can't remember her name now. The I think it was one of the girls from the movie Kids. The Brown Bunny. Oh, Chloe uh, Savini. Yeah. Yeah, like, there's a, there's a scene in there where she performs fellatio, and, like, it's legit. You see it. Really? Mm-hmm. That's bold. There's uh, some other movies that do that, too, so they actually have, like, real sex in their films. So that's what, what I said. The fuck? Did you hear about the brown bunny yet? Oh, I love it. I love it. The Brown Bunny. I'm assuming it's these two characters, right? Chloe Savini and Vincent Gallo. Yeah. And obviously Vincent Gallo is probably the guy who gets fellatio mm-hmm. performed on him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He's a writer and director. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like me writing a movie like, oh, yeah, Scarlett Johansson falls in love with me and just constantly wants to have sex with me all the time. You know? Right. Yeah. Those movies are out there, though. Um, there's some other ones. I just can't remember the names of them off the top of my head. So who knows? I mean, it is uh, the New York Red Light District. No, I, I 100% believe that this that this was going on. Do you think I they mean, updated their signs? Like, surely those sex shows can't be 25 cents anymore. I don't know if that shit still exists. I mean, you are a New York expert. No. uh, Having been. Once, yes, that's true. For a day and a half. Makes you more of an expert than anybody else on this podcast. I I highly doubt that this exists in, like, proper New York City. Like, I mean, the 80s were kind of known for that. And then Giuliani came, and I'm not praising fucking Giuliani by no means, but he kind of, like, Took away a lot of that shit. I thought. I thought. Now in New Orleans, I can promise you, you can, you could, you know, see not live sex acts. I don't, I thought you only saw this in like Mexico. Like I didn't even know you could go and watch people fuck. <clears throat> Which, I feel like it would be just like really awkward to be in a fucking theater with other people. God, that, that would be a nightmare for me now. Like, no, get me out of here. 
this is gross. Like, no. Like, it smells bad in here. It smells bad. And then there's nothing but, like, hard dicks within a a 50-yard radius of me. Like, no thank you. Well, it's possible. Like, you go into a show and, like, let's just say it sells out. That means you're talking about 50 yards. Now you're talking about, like, five inches away from me. Oh, no. And then I can get hard. No, I could get hard then, yeah. No, it it is so funny, though, because they cut back to the crowd. And these guys seem so goddamn bored. Yeah. I mean, they cannot be less entertained by, like, two people making whoopee on stage, you know? Mm-hmm. It is funny. Yeah, so... The only other thing of note during this sex act, like I said, we, we get introduced to the man missing two fingers, Mikus, who ends up becoming like the prime suspect. And we also meet like this, uh, she's half a character. Yeah. She's half a character. I mean, like her sole purpose in this movie is to watch people fucking to get her and to play with herself and then have somebody else play with her. But we haven't got there yet. The, the shows, like I said, you see her uh, playing with herself in the crowd. Then she disappears, and then Mikus disappears, and you're like, oh, shit, Mikus is going to kill. Well, no, Mikus doesn't disappear yet. She disappears. Then when the show's over, with those two performers, the girl that was in the act gets stabbed in the vagina with a fucking broken bottle. Yeah, she goes backstage, and this is where you see, like, really the Giallo stand out. Because she goes backstage, and I think, like, the, the hallway to the changing room is, like, red. It's completely red, mm-hmm. like classic Giallo. She goes inside her uh, dressing room. And it's completely green, like these transition of colors that are just like this is this is red, this is green, and and she tries to turn on the light, it won't turn on. But like the whole the whole scene's bathed in green, which is, I mean, I love that shit. I love yeah. Giallo for the colors, you know. She steps on the broken bulb though. And that was pretty gross too. Yeah, like the does. least grossest thing, it was kind of gross. But you see, like glass stuck in her foot, and that's always yes. one of those things that gets you. You're just like, oh mm. man. And yeah, she hears something rustling behind like a little curtain. It's a broken bottle to the JJ man, and which is the least graphic thing in this movie. She, uh, well, she looked. She. Pulled the curtain back and looked in there and didn't see nothing. Then the person came out of the area that she just checked and stabbed her. Did she pull that back? I th- I'm pretty sure she did. She might have. She might have. Yeah, and like you said, still one of the lower, lower on the pole for terms of you know gratuitous violence. Oh, like she just got stabbed that one time and that was pretty much it. Yeah. Thank God for that too. Thank God. They could have, that shit would have probably ended up being banned in the States if they would have 
fucking try to go crazy on that. Well, just considering how much it gets, uh, how much gets cut from other movies when, uh, it's, I'm kind of like, how did these movies make it past without getting, you know, just cut to pieces? Well, but basically, fuck me. I don't know the criteria on how these movies get, you know, notes from the rating boards as to, you know, like, this is too much. This is too far. You got to cut this or whatever. <laughs> Some movies you watch and they, they're butchered. Which, when we start covering, you know, when we continue on with the project, because it, it gets worse in the 80s. As the 80s progress, that's when the MP- MPAA starts cracking down but like even in like the early 80s it it feels like the gloves are off yeah now I, obviously there's i mean this still isn't even the video market you know like in 1982 you had to be a millionaire to own a vcr you know mm-hmm. so i mean like you're having to go see these movies in a grindhouse theater his it, 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 it is interesting because now you remember during DVD, the peak DVD mm-hmm. and you know, you, you fell victim to it. I mean, we all have, I've but just recently, them. no, not you. <laughs> no, not my baby. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> no, it's. Because you just recently bought, again, this movie came out, Peak DVD, the Friday 13th, 2008. Oh, yeah. Remember, like, you had the unrated and you had the rated. Yeah. I hated that shit because I ended up having to buy both copies. So I guess we can tell, I can tell the story real quick since you brought it up. So I I, uh, already own all the Friday 13th movies on like Blu-ray. Was this? get this straight i'm not some bum who's never watched friday 13th which i'll call me into question on this um but no the the shot factory collection had come out and i bought it josh bought it we both bought it and what'd it, you say the shot factory collection didn't you yes i thought you said criterion no <laughs> I was, I was, <laughs> yes we got the I criterion wish. collection of friday 13th but we, right we both got the Shout Factory uh, mm. box collection. Um, but I also like to have movies digital. And, you know, so I can, for ease of watch, just like everybody else in the world. And that's, and Friday the 13th remake from 2009 was on sale for $5. I'm like, oh, I'm going to buy that. You know, I'll, I'll pay five bucks for it. Now, and I thought I clicked on the unrated cut, but it turns out I bought the regular fucking R-rated cut, so I ended up having to buy it again so I could get the unrated cut. So now I've got both versions digitally. And look, this was like 2009. So, it, I mean, obviously, when we do get to the movie, you're not going to watch the rated cut, but I do wonder what's the difference. And normally, it was a ploy to sell more DVDs or yeah. to hype up DVD, you know, because it would just be like six seconds cut, you know, not much. Well, here, yeah, since you're talking about like different versions of movies that we're going to be watching, we got to make sure that when we get to Halloween 6, that we're all watching the same version. 
I know that there is only one version available on iTunes. I think. And I think it's... The one I have ends in the hospital. I think that's the producer's cut. I could be wrong. But yeah, I want to see both of them, though. I wish you could buy both versions. But you have the Halloween collection, don't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 15-disc set. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, it was weird because they made two versions of that box set. They made a 15-disc version and a 10-disc version. Same thing? Uh, No, there's, I think it's missing some, like, because I think this one has multiple versions of some movies on it. Mm Mm-hmm. Probably Rob Zombies. So you get a you get a multiple version of uh, Halloween two, if I'm not mistaken, because I think there's like a the TV cut is on there's there. There's a TV cut, yep. And then with uh, and Hall- Halloween six, you get the producers and the regular cut, the director's cut, and then I I know like the Halloween two, the zombie one that everyone sees is different than the theatrical one. I think it's kind of hard to find the actual theatrical, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. It is funny, though, because in 1981, 1982, they were like, fuck it. You ever seen Psycho? No. I've I've met all of it. I don't like how you said that so confidently, honestly. <laughs> you, you you need to put a little shame in your voice. But, you know, they had like, that was the first instance of a movie ever showing a toilet flush. That's how hardcore, I think it was the Hayes Code back in, in the golden era of Hollywood. Yeah. Like, you know, you couldn't even, like, I... I watched North by Northwest maybe like a year and a half ago for the first time. And for them to insinuate sex in North by Northwest was like a train going into a tunnel, you know, because yeah. they were on a train and that's supposed to insinuate it. Psycho opens up with two people who obviously just had sex, but they can't show anything that resembles it. But Hitchcock was able to work around it. It is so funny to go from like 1960 psycho, <laughs> you know, 20 something years later and a nipple can be cut off. Um, cut in half, man. Damn. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it. Oh, oh don't worry. I'll describe it to you when we get there. Oh, please. With <laughs> detail. Um, this is where we find out that uh, Williams is seen, staying with prostitutes because the killer calls him. Yeah, while he's with his prostitute. I, and, I mean, calls him at the prostitute's house. Yeah, you know, so Williams isn't even like doing call girls. He's on a detective budget, and he makes it sound like at first, like when he's there. You know, he sounds almost like he lives there. Cause he's like, yeah, make me some coffee. And then she's like, I'm a prostitute. If you want some coffee, get it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, you're not at your house. You're at this fucking prostitute's house and you're trying to get her to 
go get you some fucking coffee. Well, when you first see it, you're like, hey, look at Williams getting this hot blonde who is mm-hmm. obviously 30 years his junior. <laughs> and then you realize that, no, no. And then I, I start to question, does Williams just have one prostitute that he goes to? Or is there multiple? But if there's anything that people can learn from this scene is if you are a prostitute, don't have a rotary phone. And you might live. <laughs> don't have a I rotary don't... phone and you might live. No. So the next person that's up is uh, a woman named Faye. Kind of our final girl. I say kind of. She is our final girl. Yeah, she's a uh, she's attacked, and I like how they this is how they describe it in, in Wikipedia in the uh, plot or in the plot summary. A young woman, Faye, is attacked by a handsome razor blade wielding killer, but survives. Yeah, they were just trying to speed speed run through this synopsis but obviously we you know when you're watching this movie you just see a beautiful blonde on the subway and then you see our Mikus the I mean look they'll show it a couple of times throughout this movie he is missing two fingers on his right hand Mm -hmm. and it is the grossest missing of digit hand ever. Oh, it looks like they sealed the wound with like a hot iron. Or with acid. Yeah. It looks like they were just like, I don't know, just throw acid on it. Like it'll <laughs> it's so goddamn gross. But props. Props to the makeup department. But we'll we'll later find out that that our character Faye is not only a Mensa level genius, but she's also competing for the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. <laughs> it's, it's kind of fucking staggering when you hear about like, Oh, she's a genius and she's whatever sport. Did you catch that? Yeah, no, um, I can't, I can't remember what sport, but I know I, I definitely. No, they didn't the, say a sport. They didn't I, say a sport. I definitely caught the IQ though, because it was like 184 or something like that. Yeah, but her her boyfriend tells her he's like, "You got to train for 1984, like Los Angeles, which is the Olympics." <sighs> yeah. Um, Faye tells Williams that she thinks the. The killer is uh, the guy, Mikus, missing the two fingers. And we go to, uh, well, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to, you know, you you didn't think this would be a long podcast. And I like to, I'm up for the challenge. You're up for the challenge. Yeah, because this scene reminded me of a movie that came out, um, Last year, 
and it's on Shudder. I think it's a Shudder exclusive that I highly recommend people watching. Uh, called The Watcher. It's um. I wish I knew her name. It's kind of a difficult name. It's the lead from It Follows. Uh, the blonde. Uh, yeah, I know you're talking about. Yeah, Fana- It's it's really good. But there's a subway scene in that movie. That. It's it's so tense, but that's a, a great movie that people should check out called the yeah. And she, she thinks it's Mikas because like they were on a subway together. Oh, and he chases her. Yeah, I mean she has valid reason to think. Yeah, know. he kind of brought that attention on himself. So yeah, he he chases her in the subway and she gets away. But then she so she fingers him as the killer. So now they're looking out for. Mikus and his two missing fingers, and then we go, we go back to. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say right before that, she gets off the subway. She obviously goes into like this deserted street in New York City, which I'm assuming there's plenty of deserted streets in Manhattan. You know. Yeah. And he, she gets a cut on her leg. And he's, he like attacks her using a Donald Duck voice. And she runs into a theater. <laughs> Empty theater, obviously. And then like the killer comes up between her legs. And then she has what we later find out is hallucina- hallucinations. Did I say that right? I felt like I had a fat tongue when I said that. <laughs> Hallucinization. Say it. You you were better off the first time. Yeah, you, you had it, and then you tried to say it again. Well, you're scared to say it. No, I just don't have to. Hall- hallucinations. Hallucin. You just hit it again. Hallucinations. Hallucinations. I don't know. And should we say it now? Because I forgot about it till the second time I watched it that this happened. Obviously, when you watch it the second time, you know who the killer is. But she, but has, she a, has a dream or hallucinations and it's actually the, you actually see the killer in the hallucinations and it turns out to be the actual killer. Yes. And, um, cause I made a note in my notes, my previous notes, I'm like, the movie tells you who the killer is, you know, but you don't assume it because you think it's just misdirection. Yeah. And that scene is pretty fucking graphic too. Oh Yeah. I, it's one of those scenes where I totally forgot it happened and I'm like, oh no, because he takes like a, a straight razor to her throat mm-hmm. and it, you know, this is Giallo. They don't, it's not like a, Giallo movies are going to hold on a scene, you know, they, yeah. they, they linger to where any other movie, an American movie. It'd be a quick cut, and then you see the blood. Like Friday 13th, when the first hitchhiker dies. Yeah. It's quick, and then it comes. Giallo movies are going to show you them digging into the skin. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 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 in your face, very perverse. And, that, and I just wanted to give it a shout out to that, because that was... It was hardcore. 
It was. Yeah. So Faye tells women, like I said, Faye tells Williams that she thinks it's uh, the guy with the two missing fingers. She has dreams or hallucinations about the actual killer. And you actually see the actual killer in her dreams. But yeah, we're led to believe that it's because he was acting suspicious on the fucking subway. He was chasing her. So, I mean, like you have no reason to not think he's the killer and she has no reason to not think he's the killer. Like you said. Um, but then we cut back to Jane, who was the lady who has the husband that, and we didn't even talk about that after her first foray where she recorded, oh my the, God. she recorded the, uh, tape inside the, uh, porno theater. And then her husband was listening to it. And then he, she catches him and he kind of acts like, you know, oh man, you caught me. But then she takes the fucking tape out and gives it to him for his collection. And he opens up his little drawer and there's a bunch of them in there. So apparently, you know, he's cool with his wife going out and recording these sex shows and then bringing them back to him. Like, I guess he gets off on it. And, uh, she is just out in New York, I guess, looking for sexual experiences and she goes into a fucking bar and, you know, she's sitting there and there's some shady looking dudes there. And then she looks over and one dude's looking his fucking lips at her. She looks away, but then she kind of coyly looks back at him. And then we have the two guys come to her table for one of the most bizarre scenes in the f- fucking movie. And the dude, they, um, I think, don't the guys first make a bet on, like, whether she's wearing panties or not? Yeah. They bet a beer, and then the one guy's like, yeah, I owe you a beer. And then he tells her, and he's like, no, I bought you a beer. And he starts to toe fuck her. It is a scene, like, some of these other scenes that just... I like it when a movie takes its time, but not like this. I would say it took its time here. Yeah. And look, this woman's looking for like, I don't know, like she's a freak, you know, she, she likes to get her rocks off and, you know, her husband's cool with it. They have that kind of relationship, but like, she goes to like this, a CD, a fucking CD bar too. Like she's not even going to where like, She's not looking for white collar folk. Yeah. You know, she, I mean, and one of the guys there, did you notice he kind of looked like, I don't know if you watch Key and Peele or he looked like <laughs> Keegan Michael K a little bit. It's the guy who, who's not putting his toe in her pussy. Yeah. Ah, uh, man, now I feel like I have to go back and watch because, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, he looks like Keegan Michael K. And it's just this, to me, this is the weirdest scene in the movie. Like, just, it sticks out so bad. What does it lead to anything? No, and it's not. there. No, we could have spent more time with Detective Williams or the psychologist just to get more info on them. Mm -hmm. But we go here, and it's. It's, uh, I don't want to use the word unsettling because it's not unsettling. It's just, 
uncomfortable. Yeah, that's the word I was thinking was uncomfortable. And it is. And, you know, and, and they're talking and like them talking the whole time while they're doing it doesn't help fucking help the scene. Like, oh, yeah, she likes it. You like it, don't you, baby? Tell me you like it. Uh-uh. No, she likes it. Look at her. She likes it. Tell me you like it, baby. And then finally she's like, I like it. I like it. And then they're, they're like, get the fuck out of here, basically. Yeah, they just fucking pull the table back. Yeah. And embarrass her. And it's like, what was the point of that scene? Because she goes from there and she hooks up with Mikus. And they go to a... a singles hotel or whatever the fuck they're called and apparently they're into some bdsm because she's uh getting tied up and, uh-huh. they the, and they got the radio on and you hear the, the radio announcer talking about the new york they've dubbed him the new york ripper at this point but they're talking about the fact he's missing like two fingers and everything and th- this is after they had sex like she's st- they had he tied her up and they had sex you could see the marks on her body to where it was like yeah yeah, she got whipped and stuff. Uh, but he leaves her tied up after sex. And then he takes a nap, which I thought was fucking hilarious. So he's No, sleeping, it is. He's sleeping, and she's just still strapped to the fucking railing on the bed. And then she hears on the radio that the New York Ripper is a man missing two fingers. And, and she's kind of like, oh, fuck. And she has to untie herself by, like, pulling the rope with her teeth. And this is the scene where, like, the music is very era-specific, and it's very, like, I guess, cheap with the rights, because it's, it's this music you do not hear, ever. And this is what reminded me of the Warriors, because the DJ comes on and says, hey, all you beautiful ladies, watch out yeah. for, you know, eight-fingered men. Just like the Warriors, where that DJ sort of almost progressed the plot. Yeah. In a way, you know? And, and, um, but before that, the dude takes a phone call. He turns up the music and takes a phone call. And that's where you find out that he's, even at this point, you still think he's the killer, but he's, He's telling the Ripper, you know, I, pro- I procured you another victim, you know, and they get done doing what they do. Like you said, she falls, as- he falls asleep. And at one point he's kind of sleeping with his eyes open, which is even creepier. Yeah. But she gets away and she runs out. And typical horror movie. All of a sudden, she's in the Overlook Hotel, and she doesn't know left from right, you know. She runs into, like, this hallway that ends in a mirror. Then she runs into the Ripper. And, yeah, they, this kill was a little restrained. Is this the one where she just got stabbed, right? Yeah, yeah he like, does go up. You do see him go up, but you don't see it because she's yeah. wearing her coat. Yeah. So, another one down. She's dead. Um, Williams identifies the eight-fingered man as being Mikus, 
who it says in here is a Greek immigrant with a history of sexual assault and drug abuse. I guess I, I missed that part. Oh, they, but here's the thing. And, and the thing that I noted the first time I watched it, because this movie is trying, and I want to say kind of successfully of having red herrings. Yeah. Because when I'm watching this movie, I'm thinking it's a psychologist. Because anytime the psychologist is talking about who he thinks the killer is, yeah, it's always like, listen, this guy's good looking, great at sports, great body, great family. Like you, he, he kind of overhyped him to where you'd think he'd be talking about himself. Yeah. Because he's like, this guy's highly intelligent, six pack abs. <laughs> you know, he can dunk a basketball. And this is one of those instances where, because the psychologist is telling him, he's telling Detective Sleepy, it's not Mikus, you know. He's trying to tell him, like, he doesn't fit the profile, which I do love about this movie. There is a little, that's one thing this movie has on the second watch. I'll say, that's what I picked up. There's a little bit more. And I use air quotes, police procedural. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's, I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think um, the misdirection works. Uh, I, I think it works to an extent with Mikus. Um, eventually, obviously, you, you find out it's not Mikus. But, you know, by having him be, you know, a former or somebody with a history of sexual assault and what was the other one I said? Uh, drug, drug, drug abuser. Yeah. So, I mean, that kind of, you kind of think it's him and then the scene. But that's a little too on the nose though. Yeah. I mean, as a sophisticated movie watcher, you know that, okay, that's too obvious. But while you're sitting there, you know, while she's sitting there in the bed tied up and it's like, oh shit, you know, is he a killer? Is he a killer? That's a little bit of tension there. You know, and like seeing her try to reach over and bite the rope so she could get away. Um, but then she, you know, she gets killed and she's dead. And then uh we have the killer attempts to kill Faye in her home before being chased off by her boyfriend. I'm doing air quotes on that one. And that's when is this when she had the hallucination that it was her boyfriend? Or Well, she had the hallucination when you think as an audience member when she's getting off the subway and goes into the theater. That's okay. the hallucination. Halluc hallucination. We don't find out about the hallucination until like the last five minutes. But this is when she gets home, she's injured. Uh, this is when we find out she's fucking Diana Prince, you know, <laughs> genius and a athlete. And then he leaves. But before that, the cops go to Mikus's apartment. And I just want to bring that up because it is, it is such a choice for Fulci. Because they go into the apartment and it's all POV. 
and you see a hand and it's not sleepy Williams. Yeah. And he's going through all these porn and this woman's crying. She's like, I don't know where he's at. He owes me money. You know, maybe a, a part-time girlfriend or a, you know, uh, what do you call that? When you take care of the building. Oh, uh, take care of the building? Yeah. You know, like a landowner? No, like a landlord. Landlord. Sorry. Okay. She's like a landlord or she's like a part-time girlfriend. It's hard to tell. But Fulci decides to shoot this in a POV shot. And then you see, I don't know if you saw this, but they go to the wall and Mikas has a lot of pictures of himself. Yeah. Kind of naked. And he has a photo of himself naked in front of a Marilyn Monroe poster. And it's just so weird to have. Like. Yeah, no, I, I noticed like the, the half naked pictures of him. Yeah. Know? And I'm like, what? Because what? I was kind of like, wait a minute, this can't be his apartment. But then you're like, oh, yeah, it is. But you just have fucking naked pictures of yourself all over the place. Fucking weirdo. Yeah, and uh, porn, so much porn. Um, but yeah, so Mikas comes to attack Faye, and she gets away, and her boyfriend shows up, and yeah, right after that. That's when they trace the phone calls, right? Well, they get, um, they chase him off, and then the Ripper calls, and he's talking to uh, Williams, and he's telling him he's going to dedicate a murder to him. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, they're they're tracing the call, and they go to a fucking phone booth. They they get it. They go to a phone booth, and he's like, "Oh, you think uh, I'd be dumb enough to do that?" And it turns out that he had like a walkie-talkie talking into the to the phone and he's at a different location and the kill that he's going to dedicate to Williams is the prostitute he'd been sleeping with. And we come into what's got to be the most unsettling scene in the movie as far as like gore. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Cause I watched it behind covers. Yeah. Can you name some scenes off the top of your head in any movie that are a little bit more unsettling than this? Um, I think the Kill and Terrifier 2 with the one girl where he just never kills her. Like, he, he slices her eye, too, in that movie. But then he also pours the bleach and salt on her. Like, I felt like that was over the top. I don't know. I don't know. It may not be as unsettling as this, because this is him taking a razor blade and just slowly cutting her. Like, he cuts her abdomen, and then he cuts her her, uh, breast, and he cuts straight through her fucking nipple and cuts it in half. And I'm just like, how'd you get this fucking special effect of two nipples? And then what else he do? Oh, yeah. Then he takes the fucking razor starts 
like on her forehead and comes down and then he cuts her eye in half. And yeah. it's a, it's a pretty graphic scene. If you ever seen zombie, there's a scene in that movie where a woman gets pulled towards a broken door and the, the, there's a piece of wood poking straight out that's pointed and he pulls her into an eye first. It's another Fulci movie. So he's got this thing about eye trauma. Yeah, he does. And yeah, this is, uh, this is the last person to be killed and it's the most graphic person. It, yeah. yeah, it's, it's like going to see your favorite band and they wait almost until the encore to play born in the USA or something. I mean, they waited this long and, and I, you know, to me, the difference between this and Terrifier 2, well, the big difference is I watched the death scene in Terrifier 2 and this one I hid behind covers is that Terrifier 2, there's a little bit of whimsy to it. Yeah. You know, like it's like in their weird way, they're trying to make it gross with comedy. Yeah. Fulci is wanting you to watch it and wanting you to hate what you're watching. Mm -hmm. That's what it felt like. Yeah. And yeah, Sleepy gets there and he sees her body. And, and I guess that sort of puts us on the fast track to, to the end of the movie. Well, they find, um, they find Mick, Mick, Mick's Mick's body. And yeah. they, um, cause this is the scene with the, uh, the coroner or whatever he's called. And he's like, well, when was the time of death? And he's like, well, the time of death was, you know, this day at this time. And he's like, well, that can't be it because mm -hmm. this person died this time or on this day. And he's like, look, I may be off like an hour or two when it comes to determining time of death, but I'm not off by days. That's the day it happened. Yeah. And so now we're like, well, shit, it can't be Mikus. And then you got the uh, psychologist or psychiatrist, whatever it was. Um, he says that uh, he's Davis completes his profile on the killer, and he's like, you know, it couldn't be Mikus. It's um, an intelligent young man who hates young, sexually active women and followed. And you find that the killer would follow, follow Skalinda to get his victims. And then finally it dawns on detective Williams that this describes the boyfriend, Peter. Before that happens, we see Faye. She finds, she goes into a room upstairs mm -hmm. where she shares with her boyfriend, um, Topher Grace, Peter, Peter. God, you're such a fan of this nerd. No, I just got to put it. You got the Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> and she, because she, they have a throwaway line when she's in the hospital. I'm sorry for saying something about Rachel or whatever. Yeah. And you don't know what she's talking about. And he's like, don't worry about it. She goes upstairs and she sees like a, a bill. Like, I don't know why the fuck Peter would put a, a bill from Memorial Hospital up in his, what we come to find out is his daughter's room. Yeah. So Faye goes to the Memorial Hospital and they show her that this little girl is almost like 
in a plastic bubble. Mm -hmm. And this nurse is reading to her. And this girl, you can tell, is fucking sick. You know. Uh-oh, the girl is, the nurse is reading a duck children's story with a yeah. mama duck. And then we, because this movie, I don't know if to give it credit or if it's just bad editing or bad plot points, but she goes back. And this is that, and, and then we see the psychologist report. So we're at the finish line and she's, she comes home and Peter's there and he's like, Oh, where have you been? She's like, I've been out. She's like, I'm, what do you want for dinner? He's like, whatever. So she goes downstairs and she's preparing dinner. And then Peter gets a phone call. And this is where it kind of, for me, well, in all fairness, I'm kind of dumb, so <laughs> I wouldn't really follow it anyway. He hears the duck voice. She picks up another line, and she hears it. Right before that, she sees the chipped knife. knife. Yeah. And then, like, she puts two and two together. But at the same time, like, the movie's showing you Peter, and he's not doing the duck voice. And then when they both hang up, you're kind of like, well, where the fuck did that come from? Who the fuck is doing the duck voice? Yeah. And, yeah, I guess Peter comes down and he sees the knife missing. So then Faye stabs him a couple of times. And in my primitive brain, I'm like, oh, is Faye the killer? You know what? It's funny you say that because I guess my primitive brain also, there was a point where I was like, Oh, she's just having fucking hallucinations and she's... The yes. Killer. Yeah. Like, she's crazy. Like, mentally yeah. insane. But no. Like, quickly, he uses the duck voice. Yeah. It turns out it's fucking Peter. Yeah. And... Williams... Shows up just in time. He goes to how... Oh, well, he's going to arrest both of them, though, right? No, no. They know it's Peter at this point. They know it's Peter. Yeah. Because they visit the hospital, too. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he finally shows up, though, to save the day and shoots Peter right in the side of the fucking face, man. Yes, it oh. is. It is glorious. It, yeah. It is fucking radical. And then we uh, we get the explanation as to why Peter was killing people, and it's because he had a terminally ill daughter who's already lost a leg and an arm, and um, he resented other women for enjoying a life that his daughter was never going to get to have because she was on the verge of dying. And yeah, yeah. So he's 
in his own sick, twisted way or whatever, he's just going out here and he's like, you know, if my daughter can't have a happy life, you know, these beautiful women aren't going to have a happy life. I've read somewhere. I, I don't know where I read this at. Um, when I was doing the initial very minimal prep work for this movie, I read like there is a theory going around that she was telepathically making him do this. And I'm like, I like that theory more than what the movie told us because the movie also told us that once she had her arm um, amputated, mm-hmm. the mother's in Greece or France. She's she's out of the country. That the father stopped showing up mm-hmm. to where, and that led me to believe like he just didn't want to be around for whatever she was about to go through. Like he didn't want to be emotionally connected to it. So it made sense for her to telepathically connect with him and to get angry at the life that she won't be able to lead. Yeah. Um, to me, that plays better, especially after the phone call with the duck, you know, that Faye overhears. Yeah. But, um, yeah, they wrap it up with Sleepy Williams, Fassbender, and Faye in the back of the cop car. And, and Fassbender sort of tells us, tells the audience, sort of wraps it up with a nice bow of why he did the things he did and all that. And again, I have to say, I have to say it, like the music throughout this movie is, it's money because then we get like the more like seventies soundtrack. I mean, it's 1982. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not journey, you know, thank God. That'd be weird. Will in the sky. If it ended on will in the sky. I'm just not, I'm not a journey fan. No, I'm not either. I know a lot of people are, and I'm just like, I don't know, man. Like, Journey always seemed to me like a an elementary school rock band. No, you know, my dad always sort of poked fun at Journey growing up because my mom liked them. Yeah, and dad was like, "No, I didn't listen to Journey." You know, like. Like how I would be with Isla about certain bands or, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I've always had that in my head. Like, oh, my my dad hates Journey because they were kind of soft for their time, you know. And you get it. You get it. I do think Will in the Sky is kind of a banger, if I'm being honest. You know. I, I prefer more than a feeling by Boston. That's me. But hey, I'm always thinking of Boston. <laughs> right. I'm always thinking of Boston. Uh, what did you end up giving this movie? It's funny. It's funny because the first time I watched it, I gave it. And 
I, I was teetering, and when we were going to record, I was going to decide. I was going two and a half or two. I watched this this time. I'm like, no, nah, it's 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 a three. It's three stars for me. It it is, and I wrote down like this whole little, you know, my whole yeah. review. But honestly, uh, then I, I finally wrote down like three lines for it. And this movie isn't for everyone. And at times I don't enjoy the ride, but I'm glad I bought a ticket. You know? It, it's weird in places that I don't want it to be weird in that that make me uncomfortable. Yeah. But thank God movies like this exist, though, because they do push buttons. And this movie is at times unnecessarily mean. And Fulci has been sort of accused of hating women, you know, just based on his movies. And I can't say that. I've only seen two Fulci movies. But I'll never judge a movie from for pushing those buttons. That's, you know, you know, I've always said you judge a movie by what it is and it's intentionally trying to push buttons. Not like a Serbian film, you know, that's, have you ever oh, no. watched that? No, I, I will not watch that movie. I was, I I was worried because yeah, somebody, had, it's funny you bring that movie up because I was talking to somebody else a couple, and I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, but a couple days ago, whatever, and somebody brought up a Serbian film and I'm like, that's a movie I have no desire to see. Like, I've heard about it. I know it happens, and I'm out. No. Yeah, that's... You exist. That's cool. Not for me. Yeah. Not for me. That's... But, uh... Yeah, and... It, again, it's the second watch for me that I enjoyed... The misdirection... I enjoyed a little bit of the dialogue more. Again, with these Giallo movies, it is the dubbing that can take you out. And, but no, it's, it's, it's three stars. Like, I don't know if I'm going to watch this movie again, but it's good. I'm glad it exists. I, uh, I flip flopped on my ratings like you did too. Um, Mine was between three and two and a half, and ultimately, I settled on two and a half because um, that's middle of the road, right? There's things in the movie I like. There's things in the movie that I'm just like, this is gratuitous. This you know, or pointless. Like the the sex act in the theater didn't have to be as long as it was. the The fucking toe scene could have just not been in the movie at all. No, like, cut it, that. It, it was out of place. At least with the uh, the adult theater, you're setting up Mikus and um, I can't remember what the lady's name is, but you're setting those two characters up. Like they've, you see that they've had some interaction, maybe not interaction, but they've been in proximity of each other before. But you also get a death scene. Yeah. So the uh, the toe scene though is just her in a random fucking bar with random people getting you know fingered by a toe. No, that and honestly, like, and I, it's it's a scene that can only exist in this era. Yeah, you could not do that now. Yeah, you couldn't. 
I think uh, the movie had like good special effects, though. Like I, I didn't watch from behind the curtain. Um, there are certain things I can't watch, but that wasn't for me. That wasn't one of them. Now, if it had been like some kind of like if he had spit on her or something, then I'd have had a gag reflex and I'd have been like, no, nah, I can't watch this because I just can't do stuff like that. Like that just, ugh. but yeah, but for this movie, like I said, two and a half stars, uh, it had some good kills. I like the, the colors. I mean, that's, you know, why we watch Jala, right? It's for the colors. They're pretty. You get those in, you get those in spades in Suspiria. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'm glad to watch the movie too. I, I would recommend if you haven't watched it, you know, watch it. Um, just be prepared for some things to kind of drag out. No, and it's, this movie's brutal and it's, it's unforgiving in a way that you don't see in a movie with uh, a through line of a police procedural, you know, and I'm not comparing this movie to seven, but you do see a, you, you see brutality in seven and there's a police procedural. Yeah. This movie's a little bit lighter on the police procedural, <laughs> a lot lighter, but I liked the, I liked any time the psychologist and the detective were in a scene together, you know, like I would have seen a sequel to this movie and it's them two doing another case. I yeah. really would have, uh, the but it is under, <laughs> I mean, we could have just kept going with that, you know. The Meadowlands monster. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I don't know. And, look, I'm not even a Giallo guy. Like, I'm, I'm not going to, like, wave that flag because that would be uh, disingenuous. But thank God for Giallo, though. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, I think uh, we use yeah you know, we use the podcast to talk about movies we want to talk about, but we also use the podcast to see movies that you know maybe we haven't seen and we'd wanted to see. It gives us a reason mm-hmm. to watch things that we're not experts on, and neither of us are experts on Jalo, but you know we're doing this block, and now we'll you know we'll get to introduce ourselves to it. Yeah, and get a little more acclimated, and it's fun. That's uh that's why I like doing it. That's why. I, yeah, I like doing movies outside of like the big movies because we've seen those and everybody's seen those. Like everybody's seen Friday Thirteenth, right? But you know, have you seen New York Ripper? Have you seen Frankenstein? Yeah, or or even like a movie because I'm rewatching the series now because I haven't uh, seen some of the other ones. But like Hatchet, right? You oh know, yeah. There's there's a group of people that love Hatchet, and rightfully so, but there's a lot of people that haven't seen it. And it's fun to talk about movies like that. Like, have you ever watched Life Force? That's Toby Hooper, mm-hmm. right? With the space. I, I haven't. Exactly. And there's a lot of people that haven't. And so it's just like I said, that's one of the things I like about doing a podcast is it gives us a reason to be like, you could be like Hey, I think we should watch this movie and make a suggestion. You know, and I can do the same thing, and Daniel could do the same thing, and we just get to kind of broaden our scope. 
and talk yeah, about well, it, which is fun. Yeah. Now, Life Force would be one that would be interesting to talk about. I, 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 I will always have a soft spot for Hatchet. Yeah. I think if Adam Green would have done that 10 years earlier or 10 years later, these movies would be more beloved. For some reason, those movies aren't. And I think it's because it was right at that fucking dead point, like, of horror. Like, fucking dead as a doornail. Yeah. Um, Hatchet was a proto-terrifier, honestly. Don't stay silent, you motherfucker. <laughs> God damn it. You know I'm right. The gore in Hatchet's good. Like, uh, man, I was uh, we were watching Hatchet 2 last night. But I had some technical issues, so we didn't get to finish. And when he ripped that dude's jaw off, man. I, I, I only own the first Hatchet. Um, do you own them? You don't own them. I had Hatchet 1. I, but I you don't own them digitally. I know that. No, I don't. Cheapskate motherfucker. Matt keep waiting for him to hit a deal. You know, like all four movies. $13. I know. $20. Yeah, even at $20, you can get all four of them for $20. No. Give me a, give me the, you know, Leprechaun experience again. Eight Leprechaun movies, 12 bucks. Oof. Love it. Hell, and look, I, look, you bought the Saw movies. I've heard really good things about Saw 10. I'm not a Saw guy. I, I bought them because the price was right. I know. And I, I felt like I was losing money if I didn't buy them. I know. I get it. I get it. And I talk shit about that on a prior episode. But what was I going to say? Like Children of the Corn. There's 30 of them. You come out with like twenty bucks, yeah. Let's yep. fucking do it, you know. Yeah, that that, and that's what I did with uh, like Mission Impossible because the first time you told me about it, I was like, eh, you know, I'm not just like huge into Mission Impossible movies. But then I was like, wait a minute, that's six movies for like twenty five dollars. Like, I gotta buy that. Have you watched them? They're good. That first one, man. I just rewatched that one. Uh it's a killer. And you know, I'm I'm gonna talk about a movie right now while you're uh indisposed. I just finally watched Chinatown. And I I, I know you own Chinatown, and it was the first time I watched that movie. And I gotta say, it was It might be, and I'm not, and I'm not trying to be hyperbole with this, but it it might be like the greatest script ever written. It's like Robert Town, the guy who wrote Mission Impossible, um, wrote Chinatown, and you watch that movie, and obviously, like I think most of us. You know, especially if you're listening to this podcast, me and you, you can be a sucker for film noir movies. Yeah. You know, 
And this movie is, it's not like film noir, like what you think about film noir, because Jack Nicholson's character isn't a, a provident, you know, he's, he's a private investigator, but he's not, he's not a slimy private investigator, you know? Yeah. And I watched that movie and every little thing just fits into this puzzle and it fits perfectly. There's, I mean, it is just, you know, and I hate to say it. Fuck Roman Polanski, but God damn. I mean, everything just, you have Chinatown. Watch it. Fucking watch it. it. You have? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was a blonde spot. You know, there's. Forget about it, Jake. It's Chinatown. And that, and that. I don't know why that's so I get why it's iconic. But you watch the movie and you're thinking it's gonna be like this big thing and it's not. It's like the last line in the movie. Mm-hmm. It is literally, I think, the last line in the movie. And it and there's so and and that line has so many different meanings. You know. I don't know. It's just You know, I also have three days of the condor. I know, and I I watched all the President's Men maybe a couple of months ago. So, like, you're talking Robert Redford, political thriller, 70s, fucking (laughs) sign me up. I need to watch it. Yeah. You should watch all the President's Men. That's another fucking classic that stands the test of time, especially, especially now. Again, we're not a political podcast, but especially now, it 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 rings more true. What are you drinking? Carlsberg. Is that a beer? Yeah, it's like a Danish beer. Oh, they have they have a pretty good slogan, and Mads Mikkelsen is like he's done some commercials for him. Yeah, obviously he's Danish, and their slogan is like possibly the best beer in the world i mean it's not obviously not by a fucking long shot but i like how they're like possibly like put your shoulders up possibly the best beer in the world it's fucking it's mid mid i'm 41 years old use the lingo yeah yeah i didn't realize i was talking to daniel the other day when we were doing well hold on frank and weenie yeah I, well, I guess we can tell the story on the podcast. I mean, you're going to hear it anyways on the other episode. But I thought Daniel was older. <laughs> Fucking Daniel is only 38. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's what, yeah, man. I was. I just thought he was in his 40s with me and you. I mean, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah, I mean. I don't know. Thirty-eight. I thought y'all were the same age. No, he's. I thought he was only two years younger than me. Maybe he said thirty-nine, but I thought he said thirty-eight. 
No, it's probably 38. Yeah. Fucking Daniel. He's a baby. I know. He's a fucking baby. Yep. All right. You got anything else on the New York Ripper? No, it would be funny to go back and like, oh, no, let's talk 10 more minutes of a fucking vaginas with bottles, broken bottles in them. Oh, man. What a horrible way to go out. Well, yeah. And she just died. Like, it would take a while to, I guess. I don't know. You think it'd take out more than like five seconds to bleed out? Yeah. No. Um, well, hey. Everyone, that's the New York Ripper. We appreciate you listening to the podcast. Uh, check out the movie. You know, let us know what you think. You know, hit us up on the uh, socials, the Facebook, the Instagrams, the Twitters. Josh is shaking his head, but he like nobody's going to hit us up. He though. even they might. He even said we need to do a better job of promoting ourselves. I mean, we do. It it is the hardest fucking thing in the world to like. Well, I'm waiting for Daniel to send me a fucking shirt so I can start wearing it. Is he gonna? He said he was. He said when he gives off his lazy ass and mails it to me. Yeah. You should hit up Courtney. Courtney's a sweetheart. She'll do it. She'll mail it to you. She's an angel. Yeah, I might. Or I might just wait for Daniel to, you know, fucking do it just out of principle. No. Well, he might be waiting a while, big. Right. All right, everybody. Well, once again, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. I love you.